My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica from San Francisco. If you want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put all this in perspective. Call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. So let's see. Land O'Lakes Butter, six and a quarter. That was about five bucks last year. Scotch Salmon, 16 bucks, up from 12 a year ago. Did that Philly cream cheese actually just double? Homes up 19% two years in a row. Did it just pay $400 last year for a tire that cost me $800? Used cars, talking about 8% gain in two years. Don't even get me started on the price of flank steak or stone crab claws. You're lucky if you can find them. And, of course, then again, there's, there's that stock market. Two years ago, S&P 500 traded at 3,320. Now it's at 3,855. And that's after a rough day where the Dow shed 313 points, S&P tumbled 1.13%, and the Nasdaq lost 0.95%. Hey, why don't we just throw in cryptocurrency too while we're at it? Two years ago, Bitcoin stood at 10,860, while Ethereum was at 370. Now they're at 19,000 and 1,350, respectively. <laughs> Even if totally crashing this year, you are still up way too much for something that may just turn out to be for fun. I know that's a crazy amalgam on a shopping list, a group of items that makes absolutely no sense to put together. Unless that issue the Fed chief. If you're running the Federal Reserve, you want those prices back to where they were. You don't care that Bitcoin ran all the way up to 69000 last year. Now it's been more than cut in half, much more. You don't care that the average tech stock's down nearly 40% that I follow. Hey, we have NVIDIA and Salesforce.com on tonight. NVIDIA's plunged from 346 to 131. Salesforce from 311 to under 150. I know, that is just merciless. But the Fed doesn't care. These tech stocks, tech stocks are just like packages of cream cheese or crates of eggs or a new shingled roof. What do they all have in common? They're all assets, assets that are still too high on the eve of one of the most important Fed meetings in living memory, a meeting where it seems that Fed Chief Jay Powell has absolutely had it. He will not tolerate another day when we get surprised by ever-rising prices at a Walmart or a Home Depot or an Albertsons or AutoNation or a Toll Brothers Development or even, yes, the New York Stock Exchange. He doesn't want to hear that Ford just paid a billion dollars more in costs for supplies. He's not gratified that the stock lost money today, but he's not bothered by it either. He doesn't want to hear that eggs are up 13% year over year, butter's up 25%. So what if Ford stock fell 12% today? It used to be in the single digits. Pal's done. He thinks he's been a patsy. He has been, but he thinks he has. He's done being beaten by higher prices wherever, wherever he looks. He's sick of endless wage increases. They can't keep up with prices anyway. So you've got to bring the prices down. I know it's not an encouraging story for the stock market, but the Federal Reserve has a dual mandate. They need to balance price stability versus employment. Given that we have historically low unemployment and historically high inflation, Pal's going to bring the pain. It's a no-brainer for him. I know a lot of people feel that stocks are collateral damage in the Fed's war inflation. That is just not true. There's nothing collateral about it. Stocks represent purchasing power. You can sell them and use that money to buy stuff. The Fed needs people to have less purchasing power in order to stamp out inflation. They don't want you buying a boat or fixing up your home with better appliances. I don't know. Maybe they don't want you to go out for expensive mail either. They want people to defer these purchases, let the supply chain rebuild itself, and maybe even force some retirees back into the workforce. That'll help fix the labor shortage, get wages lower. 
Powell wants people to think that their homes are going down because there are too many homes and not just because the Fed's, Fed's choking off credit. And they want you to hold the line on crypto prices because so many people have gotten burned by speculating. And speculating itself involves the creation of money to bet with. Again, the opposite of what he wants. He wants crypto down below 12000 He wants Ethereum at 300 again. Now, while it's true that commodity prices have come down from their highs, and that's definite, much like stocks, that doesn't mean a thing to Powell right now because they can pop back up in a heartbeat if he doesn't get that wage inflation down. That's killing him. That's the final frontier. And the Fed will keep hitting the brakes on the economy until the labor, labor market cools down. Every business person I know wants to find out where the heck their former workers have gone. Powell doesn't have that luxury. He's on a mission to force you, wherever you are, to get back in the office, or at least to sign up. I know that sounds terrible. It sounds horrible. But it's his job to beat every kind of inflation, especially wage inflation. And that's the only way to do it. He can't create more people. That's what he means when he says, pain ahead. All right, now some good news. When you look at all those prices, I mean a basket of everything, stocks are already down more than most of the assets we're talking about. Bad news? Pretty simple. When the Fed wants all assets down, when they create a tsunami that wrecks everything, stocks are going to lose value, even from here, even the best stocks. They can't stamp out inflation by having stock prices go up. I know this is a controversial view that I've been offering for the last couple of weeks. Most people hope that the Fed can spare the price of Salesforce or NVIDIA when they drive down the cost of a soda. Lots of holders of Bitcoin can't believe that Powell's playing Grim Reaper with their assets I mean, without even realizing the wonders of the blockchain or the glory of crypto. Doesn't he see what he's doing? I got news for you. Your loss is Powell's gain. Well, he may be further along than we think. He wants assets to go down more. Sometimes you don't need to know the price of the Dow. You just need to know the price of Kerrygold Butter or a Lennar three-bedroom. If they come down, not just versus last year, but versus two years ago or three years ago, then your stocks can maintain, if not go higher. Until then, we get sporadic rallies, tend to fail, right? Or we get stocks with positive catalysts. But the bottom line is, these gains will be muted until Cheerios are BOGO, buy one, get one, and homes and cars lose value the moment you buy them. Let's take calls. Let's go to Nico in Illinois. Nico! Oh, Jimmy, Jimmy, we got a big booyah for you here in Chicago. How are you today? I love that. I'm going to be visiting Chicago in October. I can't wait. One of my favorite cities on earth. How can I help you? Well, I'm wondering about Bristol Myers Squibb. I'm thinking of lowering my cost average basis a little bit. Um, what's your take on the company? I like Bristol Myers. It's a 69. Bristol Myers could trade at 67. At 67, that's the level that I've been looking at. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, bye, bye. I think it's a good one. How about Jeremy in Pennsylvania? Jeremy. Booyah, Jim. Jeremy from Mars, Pennsylvania. Quick shout Love out it. to what's my youth group friends at Glade Run Church doing missionary work in the U.S. and abroad. My Absolutely. question today is about UPS. With FedEx's recent guidance that sank multiple industries from shipping to paper, but UPS still says their guidance is good for this year. But they have union contracts expiring at the end of this year. Love them or hate them, the railroads have recently reminded all of us that unions are big and strong. With the union fighting for raises due to inflation and UPS fighting for to prepare for market stagflation, these will not be pretty negotiations. Where Jeremy, do you see UPS Jeremy, in 2023? 
I think that Jeremy's guided horse sense. I, I am concerned about UPS has come down a great deal in conjunction with our interview with FedEx. But at the same time, I know it can fall further. Let's go to Chris in Florida. Chris. Yes. Booyah, Jim. How are you? Booyah, Chris. I am well. How about you? Great. First off, thank you for making us all better investors in this crazy Trying. bananas market. Oh, thank you. Uh, my stock is Disney. They post okay, I think Disney, it's a Chapel Trust name. Uh, boy, I still love the club, man, more than ever, because this is the kind of thing where the club gets tough. But I think that Disney can go down a little more. When I talk with Jeff Marks, we're thinking our next buy has got to be under 100, even though I hope it doesn't get there. All right, listen, your loss right at this moment, maybe soon, no, but right now is Pal's game. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, fresh off the company's GTC conference, I'm learning more about what's happening ahead for NVIDIA with the modern-day Da Vinci, Jensen Wong. Man, Johnson Johnson's new CEO joins me for his first interview from the company's brand-new cut-the-ribbon innovation center. And Dreamforce kicked off today, so we're heading down the street to check in with co-founder and co-CEO Mark Benioff for more about their most sustainable conference ever. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. is not exclusive to the tech sector. Earlier today, Johnson Johnson, the 136-year-old healthcare colossus, opened a new campus in San Francisco, bringing together their drug R&D unit and some corporate innovation technology divisions. Since we're out here, we got a chance to attend the opening, yes, opening day, and speak with Joaquin Duato. He's the new CEO of Johnson Johnson. Take a look. Joaquin, first, congratulations to be the eighth CEO of a, a iconic company. It must feel great. Thank you. It feels good to be the eighth CEO of Johnson & Johnson, the first one who is not U.S. born. And uh, it's a great accomplishment after working in the company for more than 30 years. It's a privilege to be able to lead such an iconic company with such a, a group of dedicated employees. Excellent. And we're... Uh, where are we? Now, I know geographically we are, but this is a new place for J&J. Absolutely. And, and, and welcome to this new R&D center. This is the, today is the opening of our uh, new R&D center here in San Francisco. Uh, we have about 400 people here in this building. And the unique thing about this building is that we are collocating experts in biology, chemistry, and medicine with experts in technology, in data science, in artificial intelligence, in machine learning, all of them working together uh, in precision medicine, in combinations of drug and medical devices, in cutting-edge cell and gene therapy. It's really, uh, Jim, the future of medicine. This is the future of medicine. This combination of science and technology, it's going to help us advance medicine more in this decade that we have done in the last hundred years. So it's an exciting moment for Johnson & Johnson, and thank you for being here. Well, but that's a, that's a bold claim. What is going on here that makes you so confident that there can be so much happening so fast? Two ways. One is what we are doing in the way we are developing 
and discovering new medicines. Okay. And the other one is the way we are incorporating technology into medical devices. As a matter of fact, now we, instead of calling medical devices, we call it medical technology, medtech. So when it comes to uh, developing new medicines, uh, our ability to process hundreds of millions of data points make us much smarter and faster when it comes to identifying the right targets for our medicines, when we are designing our molecules to affect those targets, and when we are planning our clinical development. All that makes us much more productive and it helps us in shortening the discovery and the early development times. On the medtech side, all the medical devices, everything from uh, an endocutter uh, to a trocar, all of them are going to become smarter. They are going to be able to have sensors, okay. they have visualization, they are going to be able to upload data and to provide information real time to the surgeon in the operating room to improve surgical outcomes. So I'm convinced that technology, together with science and engineering, it's going to make advanced medicine and surgery in a very meaningful way in this decade. Well, then I'm looking at the company too old-fashioned. When you announced the split, and I like the split because I think consumer product, as much as terrific brands, doesn't grow as fast. And then I said, well, why didn't they split off MedTech? Because it's knees. It's simple. And then, and then do pharma. It sounds like that what you're doing is making it so that, look out, MedTech. MedTech's integrated with pharma, and it's not going to be uh, prosaic anymore. Absolutely. First, I'm so excited about being able to create two new right. global champions. One is our consumer health company with the iconic brands that you have come to right. know, Tylenol, Neutrogena, Lysarin, Band-Aid, globally scale, and we are on our way to be able to create this new global consumer champion. We have appointed the CEO, the chairman. Yep. Uh, we are about to unveil the name before the end of the right, year. Right here, you should unveil. No, here, no, no here. No. But always, before the end of the year. You always try to get a scoop in my yeah, business. And, and then next year, by the end of the year, we'll have a public market exit. So everything is going right in creating this new global consumer champion. But as important, we are working to create the new Johnson & Johnson, more competitive, faster, leaner, based on medtech and, and pharmaceuticals. Medtech and pharmaceuticals share the same diseases. Right. When you think about oncology, normally it does have a surgical and a pharmaceutical <laughs> intervention, cardiovascular, surgical and a pharmaceutical intervention. So the future of medicine, it's going to be a combination of biopharmaceutical and surgical interventions. And that's where Johnson & Johnson is going to play in that intersection. That's why it makes sense to keep medtech and pharmaceuticals together. Let me give you a simple example. Sure. For example, you know that we are market leading in contact lenses, right. AccuView. So we are now uh, launching a, an antihistamine, an anti-allergy coated contact lens. So if you're a contact lens right. user and you have allergy, you can use this drug-coated contact lenses in order to be able to address your problem. I, I, can I get them yet? Because, you know, I, I take Zyrtec and I have your contact lenses. So I'd like to get rid of the customer. pill. Yeah. <laughs> now, I think that uh, what I do have to cover this issue that was uh, yesterday. There was a, 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 an argument in front of court about talc, because I had spoken about this extensively with your predecessor, Mr. Korsky. And I know that there was a very important ruling from New Jersey by Judge Kaplan, which said that the system you want to do in order to be able to make it so that your company continues to thrive because there's so many people and yet people get the lottery game ends, I thought was a very smart decision. But then again, I'm biased because my chapel trust has a very big position in J&J. Uh, is this something that, that you feel can hold up given the fact that the system right now is broken? 
We, we, when it comes to these legal situations, we try to consider the facts and circumstances right. of every case, right? And uh, like in this case, we are trying to look for a fair and equitable solution for all parties. Right. So we think that the path we are in, it's going to provide a fair and equitable solutions for all parties. And most importantly, Jim, instead of talking legal, then we can talk more about what we do better, which is what you are right. here, you know, developing right. medical devices and pharmaceuticals. That's what we know how to do. And that's where I want to dedicate my time as a CEO. And, and I think you should. I mean, it's, it's not your issue. At the same time, you're a great American company. So we want great American companies to do the right thing. Now, let me ask you about something that you have developed. That because your company is not a hype artist, can you please talk about the pill for prostate cancer? Because this is breakthrough and a lot of people don't know about it. Prostate cancer. I mean, that's one of our, oncology is one of our core areas of research. And within oncology, prostate cancer is a key area of research for us. So we've worked with different medicines that suppress the production of androgens or block androgens uh, in order to launch two breakthrough medicines in this area. One is called Cytiga and the other one is Erlida. Right. Our initial indications were in advanced forms of prostate cancer. Now we are moving upstream into early stages of prostate cancer. In, if we are able to impact the disease at an earlier stage, then we are going to increase the prognosis of the patient. Do you think people know about this? Uh, they should be. They should be because I think urologists and oncologists are aware of that. And uh, the more people test, the more people control the PSA, the more a diagnosis, an early diagnosis we're going to have and the better prognosis we're going to have. But we are not stopping with these pills. We are also applying new treatment modalities like cell therapy or radioligands right. to be able to come up with new therapies for prostate cancer that are now in development. So but prostate cancer for us, our goal, Jim, there is to make prostate cancer a treatable disease. I think you're there. I think you're much closer. I think it's really incredible what you're doing. And you don't take credit because that's not J&J's way. And that's one of the reasons why we love J&J. I am so proud that you got this job and that you let me interview you right up front. Joaquin Duato, who is the new CEO, the eighth of Johnson & Johnson. Thank you so much. Sir. Thank you, Jim. A pleasure to be with you here where the future of medicine lies. Thank you. Coming up, what's the plan to get NVIDIA back in chip shape? Kramer gets a clear look at this company's vision for the future. Next. something like the stock of NVIDIA, down more than 60% from its high last November. Now, you know that NVIDIA has long been one of my favorite chip makers because they design the best graphics cards on Earth. And those chips power everything from artificial intelligence to autonomous driving. But NVIDIA's also got a ton of exposure to gaming, which is experiencing a big slowdown, and Ethereum cryptocurrency mining, which is now going away. Even their data center business shows signs of slowing, especially, of course, in China. Doesn't help that the federal government no longer let them sell their most powerful chips used for AI to the Chinese. Now, I am still a big believer in NVIDIA long term because this company is a powerhouse when it comes to innovation. But the short term seems rough, especially with the stock still trading at nearly 40 times earnings. I mean, all stocks do in the end have some valuation issues if they haven't come down from where they were a couple years ago. Today, NVIDIA held their GTC developer conference, which came with a slew of new product announcements. I think they can tell a long-term story better than I can. So let's check in with Jensen Wong. He's the founder, visionary CEO of NVIDIA. Jensen, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, great to see you. Okay, so you uh, unveiled some devices today 
that I think could reignite gaming, which we know has kind of gotten in a lull. Can you explain how that's possible and what we will see when we get to use these chips? Several things. First, the gaming market, the end market, is actually still good. The last couple of quarters, because we had so much inventory, we decided to reduce the sell-in to the channel of our existing products so that we could allow channel inventory to normalize before we launch our new generation of product called Ada, Ada Lovelace, named after the computer programmer. And uh, uh, today we announced Ada Lovelace. It is a brand new architecture and it introduces artificial intelligence into the computer graphics pipeline. And as a result, for just beautiful imagery and the next generation of amazing graphics, we're going to deliver two to four times more performance in ADA. And so this is going to be just a, just a marvelous launch, and it's the largest step up we've ever had generationally. So I'm delighted to see that. Well, I know you're also working on some breakthrough with auto, high-performance computing, but I'm also kind of intrigued by the fact that you and I saw what the Omniverse looked like. And you've got a great company like Lowe's that is actually applying that in real time, in real life. And I think it's worth people knowing exactly how companies are using. Well, you know, everybody wants to bring more automation into their business. They want to bring automation into the way they work. Uh, so that the company could be faster, more agile, do amazing things. Uh, they would like to bring automation, artificial intelligence into their products and services. Omniverse, Omniverse was designed so that companies whose products and services touch the physical world have a tool, have a virtual world where they could try their software, try their design, test their engineering before they deploy it into the physical world. Lowe's, BMW, Mercedes, gosh, Siemens, so many companies around the world have jumped onto the Omniverse for this very reason, because they want to be AI-driven. They want to be more software-defined. And in order for them to deliver physical products and services that interact with the physical world, where, where whether it's a car or um, it could be a, a fleet of delivery vehicles or autonomous robots in a warehouse or the entire warehouse and factory is a bunch of uh, you know, people and robots working together. In order for them to build these type of systems and operate them at scale, they're going to need a new type of software platform to try their artificial intelligence software before they do that. that that's essentially on all right. Now, I want to tie all these things together. Gaming, we've got a new new platform. A lot of people are going to write on it. We are obviously talking about the really terrific things in the metaverse. Unfortunately, there were some people who were using your chips for something you told me, point blank, with Ethereum mining. That's going to go away. We do have this problem of inventory in the channel that's reduced. It makes me think, uh, as someone who you know my child trust owns the stock, what do we do? What do people not see here, Jensen, that is that allows for people to still sell it down 60 percent? And I'm not asking you to speculate on the stock. I am asking you to speculate on the future and what people seem to be missing. Well, the gaming market's great and the gaming market is larger than ever. In fact, uh, the overall gaming market grew 70 percent today relative to the before the pandemic. 
And so over the course of the last two and a half years, the market has grown some 70%. We've grown. The overall gaming market, we've grown 70%. And so I think that the market for gaming is fundamentally sound. We had too much inventory. As you recall, coming into the coming into the year, the whole market was really, really vibrant and was super high. And the supply chain was super long. And so we had a lot of inventory in the pipeline. We are going to take two quarters, two and a half or so, Q2, Q3, and a little bit of Q4, to normalize our channel. And the way to do that is to sell less into the channel than what is being sold out. What is being sold out into the market is, is, is good. The, the, the gaming market is solid. The, the world's gaming market continues to be vibrant. And we have, we have absolutely no doubt uh, that when ADA gets into the marketplace, uh, there's going to be uh, uh, lots of excited gamers waiting for it. But um, I, with, I respect to, sure. with, with respect to Ethereum, yeah. Well, we, we did, you, you did uh, warn twice. And I want very much to tell people, look, don't worry about the near term. Where do you see what's going to happen in 2023? Am I being too aggressive? You can stop me right here by just saying, Jim, let's see what happens, as opposed to, Jim, you're really too fired up about what we have. I'm excited about what's going to happen going leaving 20 this year and going into next year. I'm really excited about that. Uh, the The actions we're taking right now to clear the inventory in the channel, to normalize the inventory uh, in the channel is a good action. I'm glad we're taking it. And, and uh, uh, you know, of course, that, that resulted in Q2 and Q3 being a lot lower uh, than we originally anticipated. Um, but uh, the overall gaming market remains solid. With respect to Ethereum, I'm delighted by that. I'm happy that Ethereum is now proof of stake. Um, and the reason for that is because we built these GPUs for gamers. And if you look at our overall graphics business, our overall graphics business used to be fundamentally about PCs, desktop PCs. Um, we've added several more pillars to it. The notebook piece, the notebook gaming marketplace is, is so large now, and it's, you know, that, that segment is not affected by Ethereum at all. Uh, we have cloud computer graphics. More and more of the clouds are able to serve PCs and serve workstations and even stream games uh, from the cloud. And so that's another pillar. And a brand new pillar of ours that's now in full production is the Omniverse computer. We call it OVX. It's a server that's designed to simulate virtual worlds, simulate virtual warehouses, uh, like what Amazon is doing with their warehouse, uh, simulate virtual factories like what BMW is doing, simulate virtual retail stores like what Lowe's is doing. You could just take all of these places that I just gave you three examples, and right. and in those just three, three examples, they're... 50 companies around the world in each one of those segments that are going to probably, we, we really believe they're going to do the same. And so the Omniverse computer that we're building called OVX is ramping into production now and it's racing to, to, to reach the customers that are demanding it. All right, well, and we're so going to leave it at that. Graphics. I, I, I just think what you've got in the pipeline sounds tremendous, but you know, as someone who is a huge supporter of your company and your stock, it's been a little tough. You know that. But it sounds like what you're giving us is going to make it, let's say, uh, uh, maybe like the old stock, but we can't promise everything. But it does sound like that you've got the, the stuff in the arsenal that's going to make it so people are going to get excited again. I really feel that way, Jensen. Jim, it's been, it, Jim, it's been a little tough, but we're coming back. All right. right. Let's leave it at that, Jensen. Brand cycle coming, so I'm excited about that. Uh, that's what we need. NVIDIA's founder and CEO. Thank you. So great keynote. Everybody can look at it. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks a lot, Jim. 
Okay, Mad Money's back after the break. Coming up, Dreamforce returns to San Francisco. But Kramer's not sleeping on what investors need. Next. can't believe this happening. We're back at Dreamforce, the annual festival of technology hosted by Salesforce. Okay, maybe the vibes are a little more downbeat. The market's been through a meat grinder. But even though Wall Street's turned against the group, the fundamental dynamics in the enterprise software space really haven't changed that much. I say we check in right now with Mark Benioff. He's the co-founder and chairman and CEO of Salesforce. He's got a glimpse of the future, which actually is just right behind me. Mr. Benioff, welcome back to Man Money. Jim, this is exciting. Welcome to Dreamforce. We're so excited to have you. This is like Mad Money Between Two Ferns edition. It's very cool. (laughs) I can't believe it's happening. I mean, I know I'm supposed to stick the script and ask you about, okay, how many people this have, but I can just say there's something very unreal after this pandemic that this could be like it was a couple years ago. This is bigger than it's ever been. We're totally sold out. You can see lines around the block and everything is, every session is completely filled and beyond my expectation. And I think it's really evidence that the tech market certainly is alive and well and very healthy. Now, I always tell people that this is a remarkable time for Salesforce in terms of their business, that you see people and you do deals. I mean, I saw a really interesting deal. I saw WhatsApp down there from from Facebook. Anything can happen. Anything can happen at Dreamforce, it usually does. (laughs) And it's very cool. I just walked through the whole show myself to kind of assess how many people are here? Do you want to know my biggest surprise? Yes. These are a lot of new people. You know, because Salesforce has done three huge acquisitions in the last two years. MuleSoft, Tableau, Slack. A lot of these people have never been to a Dreamforce. This is a family reunion. They're all seeing each other. Hey, great to have you here. But a lot of these people are like, oh, whoa, Dreamforce, this is big. And, you know, this is really the software industry and probably tech's very biggest conference. Oh, my God, nothing near. Now, we're going to speak with your co-CEO, Brett Taylor. The, and he will be talking about the integration uh, of all these different ones. And I think that we saw Adam Slipsky last week at it uh, when we were out at Amazon Web Services. But these have been a little different. We also saw still a little different from, uh, from Slack. It looks like now you've got some, a, a platform that works for all of them. Well, everything's getting integrated into Customer 360 and our big customers who are here. You know, they want to connect with their customers in a whole new way. It could be sales. It could be service. It could be marketing. It could be commerce. It could be, it could be Tableau. It could be Slack. I can see, like, it feel. Does it feel like we're in some kind of a store? But Slack in particular, it's like we're in Thunder. like we're in Thunder Mountain at Disney. I like Disney. They should be doing more work with you. They had a view of customer 360. Well, Disney store runs on Salesforce, and a lot of Disney assets run on Salesforce. Okay, that stock higher. Slack. Slack is not what you. We do need every stock higher. Slack, when you bought it, is very different from Slack now. Yeah. And Slack is pretty much everywhere. Now, is a lot of that just always in the pipe and you knew when you bought it, or are you just discovering amazing things? That well, we're growing Slack, we're investing in it, we're innovating, and you see that we're integrating into our customer 360, so that it becomes a front end to all of our platform services. And here, what you're seeing is two, two or three exciting things. One is now you're in a Slack channel, boom, all of your audio and video is instantly inside Slack. Two is Quip, which used to be a separate product for Salesforce, which is Office Productivity is integrated into Slack. And three, Slack has become the front end to customer 360. And so our customers, a lot of them have never really even seen Slack before. This will be the first time for them to really see how Slack 
works with Salesforce. Well, so I saw someone the other day who told me, you know what, the stock, the company's slowing, that's why the stock is down. And I and I, I said, well, actually, no, the stock market is down, right? Because there isn't anything about your yeah. business that I find is... Well, we did 26 billion last year, and I think we're doing 31 billion this year. So that's significant growth the at scale. The worse right now. The J-PAL wants asset class There's down. There's so many things happening in the market between currencies and and uh, the recession or the, so you know, you or what? We just pushed Or forward. the pandemic, you know, all of these things that you're kind of navigating many forces. Well, we need a genie. You need a genie. <laughs> We're very excited to have an incredible new platform, uh, which is Salesforce Genie, and that is real time in Salesforce right. for the first time intelligence first time, and also this incredible automation. And this is what customers want to build. They want to be these next generation applications that integrate all these services. It's exciting, Mark. It is exciting. You know, it's exciting. I'm kind of sick of hearing about the market. It's great I can to talk be to back. This is my... What's exciting yes. is that we're back. Yes. That's I just think exciting. we have to rejoice over yes. the fact that we can have this. Right. Yes, the stock yeah. is where it is, yeah. all right? Sure. But this is where we are. We never really talked about the stock anyway. What we should be talking about is the market and looking at people and the level of buying interest and how excited they are and what they're doing with the products and the do competitiveness. They do they and by win? the way, I think because we focused on customer success for almost a quarter century now, you probably saw this quarter we did about 7.7 .7 billion. You know, I have a lot of esteem for SAP, you know that. They did about 7.5 billion. We're now the largest enterprise apps company in the world, that's amazing. That's not where we were when we met you no, in 2008. No, I always had to see a little chart. I see yeah. like this, but you're going to be like this, and maybe like that. Here's one that I want. Yeah. I want to be involved with the net zero yeah. marketplace. How do I oh, do that? This is, look it, this is very important to us. We're trying to make, get the whole world to be net zero. Right. Look, we're emitting too much, too many emissions. Number two is we also need to reforest. We need to regenerate our planet. We need to be nature positive. And nature we need positive. to fuel. Yes, and we need to fuel an ecopreneur revolution. One, two, three. These three things are really critical, and at Salesforce, we take that very seriously. That's why we are net zero today. That is why we started One Trillion Trees. You've, you've spoken about Come that on, a lot. Come on, what did I do for your birthday? And number three, you, you gave me gave, trees for my birthday. You thought I gave you a 25-year bottle of scotch. You I gave you 20,000 trees. Well, I, I appreciate the scotch, but I also appreciated all the trees, so thank you for that. And number three is, Ecopreneurs, all these amazing entrepreneurs like me, okay. but who are going into all these environmental businesses. And I think these things are very exciting that we're seeing growth and, and action and intensity in this world. And we all need to be doing something. Here at the show, we're introducing our net zero cloud, right. but also our net zero marketplace. And even Time, which you know that I sure. own, we're introducing CO2.com which is the easy button for small and medium businesses to go net zero now, boom. Yeah, but where's that connected? Is it connected to Intuit? Is it connected to your It's going to have to be connected to everything. Sale? You're going to yeah, have to. who does that? You can't, you're a small you're, business. You don't have the money to do it if you're a small business. For small businesses, they're going to need tools that have the intelligence to assess exactly where they are in emissions and help them to have relationships with everybody from technology to, well, the kind of restoration that we need in the planet to be able to go net zero. Right. Sequestration is a key part of the story. In, in the time left, uh, is it China slowing that's bad? Is it the incredibly horrible war that Putin's doing in Ukraine? Is it the Federal Reserve? Who is making it so everything's not as good as it was? Well, I like to say if it's not one thing, it's always your mother. But I have my mother I was here mom. today at the I keynote. <laughs> and I think they would, what she would say is you got to keep moving. You got to keep going. You have to keep keeping okay. positive and focused because the world has challenges, and you know, we're coming out of pandemic. Pandemics create challenges 
you know, I especially have been reading, you know, the work of, uh, of Neil Ferguson and kind of how he lays it all out. And you know what? I agree. We have to keep going forward and build these markets, get people back together, build technologies, do what is right. Connect with your customer. Be customer first. This is what matters. Can next year be better business-wise than this year? I think so. Dollar? Got I'm looking down. into the eyes of the people behind us. I'm more inspired than ever. I think that the business is more exciting well, than ever. First came out of here, but I we need to do, do things business. like this. Is it still, you're still Demand doing. generation. Well, we need to do demand generation. We need to have, and look, at enterprise software is a lot of very much hand-to-hand -hand combat where you have to go see the customer and they have to talk to each other to reinforce that your products work. It's two things, it's not just one. And that is a key part of our selling strategy for 25 years. The second part has not been as easy. We're just getting this back but I, now. But I will say this. This is the best you have looked and talked in two years. I've never seen anything like this. This is the most excited I've ever been because number one, I'm happy to be back here. But number two is I'm looking into the eyes and hearts and souls of the people who are here and I'm like, wow, this is all working, and, and this real. is incredible. Mark Benioff, the Salesforce co-founder, chair, and co-CEO. Mark, it's great, great to be to back. Great to be back with you, great Jim. Thanks back. for welcoming Thank back you. to San Thank Francisco you. and Dreamforce. Boom. Everybody's back into the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dad, time to light round. Come to Joey. In your Joey. Hey, Jim. Good evening. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. What's going on, man? Yeah, I'm calling tonight about biosimulation software company Sertera, ticker CERT. So I've been following the company since its IPO almost two years ago. So okay. far, they're kind of a mixed bag, stock's not doing no, so well. No, but they're not bad. They're not bad. They actually don't lose money, and they have a, a kind of interesting product portfolio. I think it's a great spec, and I usually don't say that at this point, at this point, after this brutal hammering of this market. How about Adrian in Florida? Adrian. Booyah! Booyah! Whoa! Jim, my son's investing for college and has a question for you. Sure. I want to invest in cryptocurrency, but I don't understand it. What do you think about me investing in the Coinbase? Well, I don't understand that either. So I'm going to have to say no. I think that you want to do is you want to find a company that has got some good growth that is uh, not chimerical. And you can Google that one. Okay, let's go to Ken in Minnesota. Ken. Hello, Jim. How are you today? I am doing just fine, Ken. How about you? I'm fantastic. Hey, thanks for having me on the lightning round. Talk I'm interested in. Is Melco Crown MLC? Oh man! Okay, you get what you pay for with the six-dollar stock. It's a nice spec on the idea that COVID is going to be beaten, uh, but I do not like the gambling group because man, it's been a house of pain for members of the investing club. Let's go to John in New Jersey, my home state. John. Hey Jim, how you doing? Bad. Uh, not bad. Not bad. How about you? Good. Thank you. I, I just want. You would uh, tell me what you think about the spinoff of GSK? I mean, the spinoff's awful. They did a terrible job, and uh, now both pieces are bad. Uh, and frankly, I, that company needs, um, and the company's ill advised. That's something I like to say when I don't like it. Let's go to Peter in Pennsylvania. Peter! Yes, Jim. 
First, I yeah. want to thank you for helping me fund my grandchildren's 529. That's what I'm trying to do. Trying to keep yep. our heads in the game until things get better. What's up? That's right. Jim, I've seen commercials for Skechers, SKX, where people can slip into shoes without bending. And this looks really good for people with back problems. Well, it, it is. Financial. But you know what? It's not enough. It's not enough to change the direction. The stock is what I call erratic and has been for quite some time. I say we go to Nick. In New Jersey, Nick. Booyah, Jim. It's Nick. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. What's going on? Well, I'm calling about Cricket Inc. Ticker CRCT. 14 consecutive quarters of profitable growth. $230 million in cash. Zero debt. Steady Eddie loves it. I love it. What do you think? I think it's still too high on a price to uh, earnings basis. Those stocks tend to be about 10. And that would put the stock down even lower. But... For eight bucks, I'll take the speculation. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Kramer's at the seat of innovation. So why is he hungry to talk about the two-year treasury? Word is bond. Next. here in San Francisco interviewing some of the smartest CEOs in the world. But as great as they are, they're not in control of their own destiny right now. And I can't get an interview with the thing that sees the wheel. And that's the two-year treasury. I want to ask the two-year, what's the deal? Why do you keep going down in price and up in yield to the point where your rates per putting every other asset to shame? Even though the two-year treasury note is not a public company and it doesn't have a CEO, it's defining all the action here, every bit of the market's direction. We all feel helpless as we're totally hostage to a treasury note that simply won't stop going down in value. Now, remember, when bonds go down in price, it's like when dividend stocks go down. The yield gets bigger. The difference is that when you buy a stock and it goes down, pushing the yield higher, you'll probably lose a lot of money, especially if the dividend ultimately gets cut. Like that of ATT. But if you buy treasuries and they go down, pushing the yields higher, you're going to be made whole because you get all your money back when the bond comes due. And that's guaranteed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government, which still means something. So why the heck do I want to interview the two-year? Okay, look, it's metaphorical. I want to know why so many people are buying this piece of paper, one of the least speculative assets out there, rather than picking at stocks that have come down from huge from their highs. Aren't we supposed to be drawn to bargains? Isn't that what we're taught? Don't stocks get cheaper when they go down? I think the preference for treasuries might be based on fear. Anyone who's bought stocks this year, or, or at this point, last year, geez, they've fallen so much, has been burned repeatedly. And now they're afraid to touch the whole asset class. Plus, with the two-year yielding nearly 4%, that is a decent return considering the money-back guarantee. So then what else is worth asking about? I want to know about the sellers. If the two-year is so darn attractive here, like I just said, why do people keep selling it? Causing it to sink in price. There's nothing else that gives you such a safe 4% yield. Why sell it then? Here's the rub. You'd sell the two-year. If you think the Fed's going to keep raising rates and raising rates and raising rates, well, you'll regret locking in such a low level, the 4% yield for two years. Because if you wait a little bit longer, maybe you'll get 5%. 
just from having cash. Maybe even 8% if j ends up having to go nuclear to beat inflation. In other words, people keep selling the two-year because you're a sucker for taking 4% when yields could be headed much higher, much, much higher. You think that's crazy? When I got in this business, inflation was raging double digits, and you could lock in 14% for a 30-year treasury. By the way, buying the 30-year in the early 80s ended up being one of the best investments of our lifetimes. Will it happen again? Are the sellers going to be right? At this moment, I think the bond sellers are betting the Fed will hit us with a 75 basis point rate hike tomorrow with promises of even larger hikes if inflation remains stubborn. And that would be real ugly. But unfortunately, the sellers now have a pretty good track record, certainly better than the buyers. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. Now. 